Guys, it is the last salt. We are here. Um, and yes, you called it. I am totally doing like a sappy senior send off, like all of that. You're starting a new journey, things like that. But in all honesty, I'm super excited for tonight. And and I think that this this text where Ephesians is going to land us is going to be a powerful text of passage for, for each one of us um, as we step into this new season of life. And, and for freshmen, it's like, you know, first summer break at, in college. For juniors, last summer break in college. For seniors, heading off to your job. Sophomores, I don't know what is happening. It's like, you know, the middle, weird, awkward summer where you're transitioning and you've done this thing before, but it's not the end. I don't know. Sophomores, you'll figure it out. Uh, but yes, we're doing it. And, and I was telling Laura earlier tonight that I love the fact that tonight on, on the senior send-off night, in, in our ministry, we don't save everything that we want to say to you as seniors for tonight. That we've had April 30th, 2020 in our minds since your freshman kickoff since your fall kickoff, since your freshman fall retreat, since the first time that you came to Salt Company as a transfer student, whatever your situation was, we've had this day in mind, this launching day, since the first time you entered into our ministry. And I love that about Salt Company, that we're a ministry that, that doesn't just want to create a great four-year experience for you, but wants to set you up to follow Jesus for the rest of your life, that, that has your eternal state in mind, that we want to be a ministry that, that shepherds and equips you to walk faithfully with Jesus so that when we enter into eternity, we, we can worship and sing and rejoice in all that God has done and all that we've gotten to be a part of. So if you got a Bible, Ephesians 6 is where we're going. As I've been thinking about like, you know, starting journeys, these, these new beginnings, journeys, all those things, I was trying to think about like some of my favorite trips or journeys that my family went on. And one that is totally unforgettable was back in maybe junior high, late elementary, we went down to Arkansas. So a couple of weeks ago, I, I mentioned my grandparents lived in Arkansas and we'd go down there several times a year, at least once. And so what we would do is it would be Christmas break. We most often went down there. And so my dad, he was a pastor. So we would go to the Christmas Eve service. You know, we do the candle lighting thing, which was awesome. Loved fire, silent night, all those things. So you're sitting there, the van would be totally loaded, totally packed, ready to go. We had like the DVD like player ready to go. We'd actually just string up a TV, plug in our Xbox. That's ready to go for the 11 hour trip. All of it, like the van, snacks, everything. We're, we're totally ready for this journey. So we go to this uh, Christmas Eve service on this particular Christmas. We go through it. We sing the Christmas carols. We light the Advent wreath because that was always my parents, like our family's job. If you don't know what an Advent wreath is, you're not living. You're not living. The thing that we would always do though, or at least my dad, is he would check the weather before we went. So my dad consulted the most handy, you know, reliable weather app of the time, which was my grandpa. So my dad calls my grandpa and says, hey, we're like packed up. We're heading to the Christmas Eve service. How's the weather look? And my grandpa says, it looks great. Come on down. Now, uh, here's the thing about grandparents that I've learned. So I'm a dad now, and I've interacted with grandparents who, you know, want to see my children. And here's what I've learned. If there's information that needs to be transferred and that information will dictate whether or not they get to see their grandchildren, they will for sure say whatever they have to do to get their grandchildren to come see them. Like my mom, there could be a dragon on the road, Highway 20, dragon. I'm dead serious. Like mythical dragon, fire breathing. And we call and say, should we come? And she would say, yes. And she would say, at least it's a friendly dragon. I don't know. But she would, you know, and it's like, I don't blame her, but you can't trust them. 
You can't trust grandparents. They just want to see their grandkids. So my grandpa says, roads are clear. So it's like 7 p.m., whatever. We jump in the van. You know, we watch movie number one. We watch movie number two. We were going to go through the whole night. So we watch movie number three. Then we start playing video games. Then we fall asleep. My dad keeps driving and we get to Fort Worth, Arkansas. So we've been driving for eight hours at this point. 11 hour trip. We've been driving for eight hours. We get to Fort Worth. Everything has gone smooth. You know, it's probably three in the morning at this point. And all of a sudden we hit traffic. Just middle of the night, roads are totally blocked. And it's like, what is going on? How are we hitting traffic on this trip? Three in the morning on Christmas Eve. Who is out? Santa and his elves? Like, come on, people. Honk, honk, get out of the way. So we hit traffic and it was just a roadblock. And we begin to put together this reality. You know, they have like the radio station that you can listen in on and hear what's going on. It wasn't Santa and his elves. An ice storm had completely frozen the state of Arkansas. And we are three and a half hours away from my grandparents' house. And the next three and a half hours take us 23 hours to get to my grandparents' house. I, am not, I verified it with both my parents, so they made sure that I got the facts right. We had driven for eight hours and then 23 hours to get through the last three hours of the trip. We were in the van for 31 hours, which for me and my brothers, we were you know, somewhat okay with because all of a sudden we had an extra like day, literally a whole day to level up in Star Wars Battlefront 2, which we totally did, got all the perks. It was awesome. But we were loving it. But here's what happened. About halfway through the 24-hour period, the reality of our unpreparedness for a 31-hour trip began to set in. And so I remember we started timing how long we would leave the van and park. And so there was one stretch in the afternoon on day two where my dad put the van in park and we're on the interstate and the van did not come out of park for four hours. Dead serious. This is not an exaggeration. We did not get the van out of park for four hours. And so people start panicking because there's like, you know, basic human needs that need to begin happening after four hours in an ice storm. So there's like some woods like off to the side. And so you would see people like walking back and forth from the woods. And he's like, wonder what that guy's doing. Not know exactly what you're doing, weirdo. I'm holding mine because I'm not a weirdo. But then food, like, what do you do? So I remember the car in front of us, they like popped their, their trunk open. There's a cooler in there and they had a loaf of bread and peanut butter. And you're like, wow, that was really smart. All we have is pretzels and sunflower seeds. Like, what are we doing? But that's, I don't know, for whatever reason, that was always our vacation snack food in the car. So all these things are happening and we finally make it down several days later to my grandparents' house. And, and we make it, we celebrate all that. And it's just like, grandpa, why, what? And he's like, I promise it wasn't in the weather and all that. And it's like, yeah, sure it wasn't, Grandpa. But we were so unprepared for that trip. And, and it put us in a really tough spot. Because when you take a journey, you have to know what's ahead of you. You have to know what you're facing. Because if you don't know what obstacles you're going to come across on your journey, it leaves you in an incredibly vulnerable place. And guys, it's the same for the journey that you're about to start. You have to know what you're facing. And specifically, this text is going to help us know as we start this journey, as Paul concludes his words to this church in Ephesus, he's going to say, as you continue or as you start your journey, you are going to face some hard things. And the most dangerous position you could be in is to start a journey and have no idea what you're about to face, to be completely unprepared. 
And as funny as going out into the woods, you know, and urinating is, that's nothing compared to what Paul is going to warn us that faces us in this journey of life as we try to pursue Christ for a lifetime. And in particular, he's going to help us be aware of the spiritual battle that is raging that wants to destroy your life. And if you're not aware of that, it leaves you in a completely dangerous and vulnerable place, totally unprepared and totally unable to navigate the obstacles you're going to face on this journey. So if you got a Bible there, Ephesians 6, either on on your phone, your Bible, your actual Bible or Bible Gateway is a great online app if you're on a computer, but Ephesians 6. Here's how Paul is going to conclude his letter to this church in Ephesians in Ephesus as he sends them out on this journey. So here's what he says. Finally, be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength, put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil, spiritual forces in the heavens. For this reason, take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist the evil day and having prepared everything to take your stand. Guys, take your stand. That's the charge that we're gonna wrestle with tonight. Take your stand. As you start this journey and you begin to face these obstacles, take your stand. Seniors, take your stand. Juniors, take your stand. Sophomores, take your stand. Freshmen, take your stand. That's what we're going to see. And what we're going to see with that is four questions. Four questions for what it means to take our stand. First is why do we need to take a stand? Why? On this journey, why do we need to take a stand? Second is what has God given us to take a stand? Third is... uh, how do we take our stand? And fourth, what is the result when we do take a stand? So take your stand first. Why take a stand? Well, he said it in verse uh, 10 and 11 and 12 again. So look, he says, finally be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against what? The schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not this physical struggle. It's, it's more than that. It's not... Not that, but it's more than that. It's against rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil, spiritual forces in the heavens. Why do we need to take a stand? Because there is a battle, an unseen, an invisible, a battle that we often are completely unaware of that is raging, that wants to devour your soul. Now, if this is your first time listening to a sermon or you haven't been to a church service for a while, you might be thinking devil scheming, spiritual like forces. What? This sounds weird. But listen, this is this is real. It's not just this this like kind of weird red guy with horns that pops up. The devil was the highest ranking angel who rebelled against God and now is made his sole purpose in his existence to devour and destroy anything that honors God, namely the people of God. That is his one ambition. And he's been doing it for thousands of years. The highest ranking angel. That is the reality that is facing us and is facing you. Think about it this way. The apostle Peter in chapter five of first Peter, he describes the devil as this roaring lion that's, that's uh, looking around for anyone that he might devour, a lion. 
imagine this, if we were all actually in this building and at the end of the night, I dismissed you and I said, hey, everybody go have a great summer. Like, good to see you. Like, we love you. Have a great summer. Oh, oh, one more thing, by the way. You know, we tried to catch it before salt, but we couldn't. There's a lion out there somewhere. Somewhere in the parking lot, there's a lion. So, hey, have a great summer. We'll see you next fall. What would that do? How would that change your reaction? How would that change the way you left Salt Company tonight? If we told you there was a lion in the parking lot we were unable to catch, imagine, think through that. Like, what would you do? What would you have to do to get home? And some of you are like, dude, I'm sleeping at the church. And I'm telling you, this building is freaky at night. So you don't want to do that either. That's scary. That's scary junk. Don't do that. I'll take the lion. I don't know. But imagine, what is that like? What, what anxiety rises up in you? What like level of alertness do you have as you navigate getting out to your car in the parking lot? Like how much forethought are you putting into how you get to your car? It's like, okay, I got my backpack. If you bring a backpack to salt, I don't know why you would. But if you do, I got my backpack, got my keys, got my phone for flashlight. I like tore off this like chair leg and I'm going to use it to beat, you know, the snot out of the lion, whatever. But think about all the forethought you would go through if you knew there was a lion in the parking lot. Guys, there is a force, a spiritual force that is far more effective, far more powerful, far more dangerous, far more cunning, far more deceptive, far more everything than a lion. And he has made it his sole purpose to destroy and devour you. Are you aware of that? Are you aware of that as you begin this journey? I mean, even when was the last time you even thought about this reality? Like, have you, when was the last time you even thought about the fact that there's a spiritual warfare going on? And guys, he lists so many things. Paul, in verse 12, he lists the schemes of the devil against flesh, not against flesh and blood, but rulers, authorities, cosmic powers of darkness, evil, spiritual forces, heavens. Why does he list all those? It's to overwhelm us to the reality that we alone cannot face this insurmountable force that is against us. If you start a journey and don't know what you're facing, it leaves you incredibly vulnerable and in a dangerous spot. This is what you're facing. This is what is out there. And guys, I graduated college five years ago, and it's crazy. That's a short time period. But already in me and my buddy's lives, there's been things that have challenged us and things that have come on this, on this journey. And some of us, as, as the devil, you know, has schemed to disrupt our life, some of us have responded well and leaned into God and other, others of us haven't. And two of my closest buddies are not in a great spot. Don't be arrogant. You're not above this. The highest ranking angel who rebelled against God is after you. And look, we aren't supposed to be obsessed with this or whatever, but we have to be aware of this. This is what's facing us. So some of you are like, geez, man, like last salt company, like, hey, like have a great life. You seniors go get them. Cosmic powers of darkness. You got it. See ya. See you whenever. It's like, okay, man, like what do we do? Like, how do I navigate life if this is what's waiting for me? A force that I alone cannot face. Well, that brings up the second question. What has God given us? And he's given us his strength and the armor of God. So look back, verse 10, he says, Be strengthened by the Lord and his vast strength. 
Yes, there is an insurmountable force out there. Devil and his minions, his legions that is after you. But look at this. We have the strength of the Lord and his vast strength. That is what's for you. And earlier in Ephesians 1, he says, the immeasurable greatness of his power and strength are directed towards you who believe. Yeah, that might be scary, but we got God and his vast strength. And not only that, but he also gave us this this armor. So he says, put on the full armor of God in verse 11. Then he says in verse 13, for this reason, what reason? The, The spiritual force that is against us. For that reason, what? Verse 13, take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist in the evil day having prepared everything to take your stand. Yes, there is an evil force out there that is uh, doing everything it can to devastate you. Take your stand. The immeasurable greatness of God's power is directed towards you who believe. Yes, there's rulers and authorities and cosmic powers of darkness that are seeking to disrupt you, to get you off track, to distract you from all that God wants to do. All right, take your stand. Take your stand. Take up the full armor of God and take your stand. I love what Jesus said in Matthew 16, that the gates of hell won't be able to resist the church. People who are filled with the spirit and the power of God against spiritual darkness and cosmic powers. It's like, take your stand. And what does he give us to take our stand? He gives us six pieces of our armor. So first he gives us the, the, the belt of truth. Verse 14, stand therefore with, the, with truth, like a belt around your waist. Truth, it has these two aspects. One is doctrinal truth. We want to think rightly about God. We want to know him. We want to know God's word well. We want to think well about him to, to protect us from the deceptiveness of Satan. But we also want to be truthful people, people that there's no falsehood in us. Second piece of armor, he gives us the breastplate of righteousness. Again, verse 14, it says, righteousness like armor on your chest. Again, this has two aspects to it. One is our positional righteousness in Christ. That the moment you put your faith in Christ, you were given in that instance, the full righteousness of Jesus on your behalf. The second is that we want to cultivate a righteous life. That we live holy, walking in obedience, have moral character. Guys, being comfortable with compromises and your integrity leaves you in an incredibly vulnerable place against the schemes of the devil. Don't get comfortable with compromises in your integrity. Third, the third piece of the armor, he he says this in verse 15, your feet sandaled with readiness for the gospel of peace. So the Roman soldiers, they would have these sandals that were su- had super thick soles. And in these soles, they would uh, put these hobnails. That's the technical term for it, hobnails. Uh, they, it's like, think cleats. They basically would make their sandals into cleats. And what do cleats do? Cleats give you sure footing, right? Sure footing against an adversary. So these Roman guards, they have these sure footing. And what is this sure footing that we're supposed to have? It's in the gospel of peace that there is a security in the gospel that can be found nowhere else, a security in Christ that can't be threatened. Why? Because through the gospel, the good news that Jesus has saved us, we have been reconciled. We now have peace with God and with others. And what are the two things that Satan so often wants to attack in your life? There is no way a God could love me knowing what I've done. 
There's no way, given what I've done, God could love me. What's the other thing he so often attacks? Unity in the church. Causes judgmentalism, bitterness, insecurity, comparison, all these things that disrupt. But what does this sure footing of the gospel of peace give us? It gives us a security in our knowledge that we have peace with God and peace with one another through Jesus. The fourth thing is this, verse 16, in every situation, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. The Roman guards would have these, the Roman soldiers would have these massive, like picture a door. They're just like holding a door and it just like extinguishes. They put like cowhides on them to extinguish arrows, all these things. And it's just this shield, this shield of faith that I have this resolute trust in the faithfulness of God that there's nowhere else that I'm looking for, for my trust to be placed in. It's in this absolute trust in who God is. Arrows come, God is good, he's in control. Virus comes, God is good, he's in control. Don't have a job lined up after college, God is good, he's in control. Baby is sick, God is good, he's in control. Grandparent walking to the edge of death, God is good, he's in control. Friends, betray me, lose my job, uncertain times. God is good. He's in control. The shield of faith, this unwavering, unflinching trust in who God is and his power. Listen, if God was good enough and powerful enough to take care of the only problem that could affect us for an eternity, then he is good enough and powerful enough to walk with us when we face trouble in this life. The shield of faith. Fifth, he says, put on the helmet of salvation. Verse 17, the helmet of salvation. Guys, Jesus secured for us salvation on the cross. We have victory in Christ. We are to stand in the victory of Christ. Sixth is this, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Guys, scripture, the sword of the spirit is the one offensive element to the armor of God. And, and you look and you even see this in Jesus's life. In Matthew 4, when he's facing Satan in the temptation of the garden, what does he use? What does he resort to? Guys, I mean, think about what was going on in that moment when Jesus in Matthew 4 was tempted by Satan. You have this, this epic showdown of the, second, of the highest ranking angel versus the son of God. He's facing the most epic, powerful force, foe that you ever could. What is Jesus' access to win in that moment? I mean, think of Thanos and Marvel, like probably, you know, one of the most epic villains of all time. And what did it take to destroy Thanos? The entire superhero world of Marvel, which just was like a ton because they just kept adding them. And it took all of that. But what did Jesus access when he faced the greatest foe that we will ever face that the world has ever known? What did he access? Three verses. And they were three verses from a book of a Bible that most of us say is too boring to read. It's like you couldn't have picked like any of these other ones, Jesus. And it's like, no, I'm going to show you how powerful God's word is. I'll go to a book that today most people can't even stand reading because they say it's boring. Deuteronomy. It's an awesome book, but it's hard to get through. I'll be honest. And Jesus picked three verses from that and thwarted the greatest foe that he ever faced. Guys, scripture 
Is that how you view God's word, the gift that it is to us? Let me ask you this. Do you devour God's word with the same intensity that Satan has to devour you? I don't. Ah, I mean, if you look at my life and you had to guess what sort of battle I was waging, like based on how much I read my Bible or, or how I engaged with it this week, you probably think I'm like trying to trap a mouse. Guys, like this is, is our weaponry against a spiritual force that is daunting and insurmountable on our own. And God has given us scripture. So guys, here's a question that kind of comes to mind. It's like, man, this is great. Okay, I get that there's a battle that's being waged. I get that God in his strength is for us. And I get that he's given us this armor. But here's like a super practical question. Because verse 13 says, take up the full armor of God. Here's a question. How do you take it up? Just like super practical. Like think about this. How do you take up these six elements? And maybe you can guess like scripture and be like, oh, read and memorize quote out loud maybe? And it's like, yeah, sure, that could work. But what about the other five? How do you take up these? They're spiritual armor and they're spiritual weapons for a spiritual battle. Like, how do you even know if you have them on? Like, how do you take it up? Very practical. Well, I think the answer is in what Paul gives us right after he lists these six things. And it's verse 18. He says this, pray, pray also for me, that the message, actually that's verse 19, pray at all times. It started with the same word. That's why I read verse 19. Verse 18, pray at all times. Pray. Most practical way of putting on the armor is to posture yourself in dependence daily in prayer. And what does he say to pray for? He says to pray for two things, the protection of the saints and the proclamation of the gospel. So he says, protection of the saints. He says, pray at all times in the spirit with every prayer and request. Stay alert with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. Then he says, pray also for me that the message may be given to me when I open my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. For this reason, I'm an ambassador in chains. Pray that I might be bold enough to speak about it as I should. Pray for the protection of the saints in the proclamation of the gospel. Again, two things that Satan and his legions want to completely dismantle. They want to disrupt and distract all that God has for his saints, all that God has for believers. They want to thwart as much as they can what God's purpose is for your life. And they want to do everything in their ability to thwart, to stop the proclamation of the gospel. And so Paul says, pray for the saints and pray for me for words to be given. Guys, and what happens when we take our stand? When we see the battle that's raging, when we lean into the strength of God in the armor he provides, when we take it up through prayer, what happens? What's the result? Well, I think it's, it's how he ends his letter. So he says this, verse 21, Tychicus, our dearly loved brother and faithful servant in the Lord, he'll tell you all the news about me so that you may be informed. I'm sending him to you for this very reason, to let you know how we are and to encourage your hearts. Peace to the brothers and sisters. Love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And here's what I think the result is. Verse 24. Grace be with all who have an undying love for our Lord Jesus Christ. What happens when you take your stand? What happens when you start the journey and take your stand? An undying love for Jesus. A lifelong love and passion for who he is. 
Guys, when you came to Candeo, you seniors, when you came to Candeo, you heard why this church exists. And it's to help people find their greatest joy in Jesus. And we didn't want you to just find that for these four years. We want you to find that for a lifetime and for an eternity. Because there's all these things out there saying, find joy in this. Get joy through this. Get satisfaction through this. And the only place is Jesus. And what we have prayed and hoped for is that the same thing that Paul is praying for, when he says, be strengthened in the Lord so that you may maintain your undying love for Christ, that's our prayer for you. We pray that when you came here, that you would have found your greatest joy in Jesus, that you would have developed an undying, lifelong passion for him, an unwavering and unflinching love for Christ that you would see what he has done on our behalf, that you would adore him. And guys, it's our prayer that you would leave and have that undying love for him. Guys, I so want a 58-year reunion from now on, from now, for you 2020 seniors. You're like 22, 58, we're all 80. And to hear story after story of the next 60 years of your life, of how you have pursued Jesus and how he's pursued you, how you've walked with him, And guys, there are going to be obstacles. There is a battle. There is a lion. There is all of that along your way. But take your stand. Take your stand. Maintain your undying love for Christ. Guys, I'll add a fifth question that has kind of popped up into my mind, you know, throughout the day. Like, you know these stories of, of my friends or people that we see or, or the moments in your life when you're like, man, I want this undying love for Christ, but I know it falters. And what happens like on the other side when it's like, maybe I don't take my stand and I fall. Like what happens then? What's our hope in all of this? Well, guys, Paul didn't just make up this analogy of the armor. He didn't just like think to himself, oh, what would be a good way to talk about truth and righteousness? Oh, armor, that's what I'll do. No, he actually got this metaphor from the Old Testament. And actually, I'll read it to you. In Isaiah 59, there was a time when God looked on the earth and what he saw was wickedness and sin and injustice reigning. And it saddened God's heart. And so this is what he says. said, the Lord saw that there was no justice and he was offended. He saw that there was no man. He was amazed that there was no one interceding. So his own arm brought salvation and his own righteousness supported him. And he put on the righteousness as body armor and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing. He wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. And it says the redeemer will come to Zion. Do you know who God is talking about? God looks at the injustice, the wickedness, the sin, and out of love, he sends his son to put on what? The breastplate of righteousness and the helmet of salvation. Why? So that he could bring salvation. So that he could have a redeemer come from Zion. Before God ever asked you to put on the armor and face the battle, he sent his son to do it. Jesus put on the armor of God long before he asked you to put it on. 
And, and Jesus put on the breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation, and he faced the enemy on our behalf. He faced the rulers and authorities. He faced the cosmic darkness. He faced evil. He faced sin. He faced the devil himself. And he faced the wrath of God. Why? So that he could secure a victory for you. So that he could secure salvation for you. So that now as we go on this journey and we face this insurmountable force, we can do it with an armor that was purchased for us through Jesus because he wore the armor first on our behalf. We can stand in confidence. We can take our stand in the victory of Christ. And guys, we can have this undying love and passion for Christ sustained in our life because he here in Isaiah 59 displayed his undying, unshakable love for you. And when that is the thing that anchors your soul, you'll face whatever enemy comes along. And that will sustain you for a lifetime of following Jesus. Guys, we love you. I'm so thankful for, for this year and all that God's done. But I'm going to be so thankful when I'm like 84 and you're 80. And I get to hear stories of, of how you walked with Jesus. And I get to share my stories. And we'll share moments where, where we wavered and we'll share moments where we faltered. But through it all, we'll share stories of how God, time after time after time, showed that he was good and he was in control. Guys, if God could take care of the only thing that threatens us for an eternity, then he could take care of what faces us through our life. Stand in the victory of Christ. Let's pray. God, we love you. Oh God, there is an enemy out there and I, I am so often unaware. And God, I want to just talk about fun things tonight, but there's a reality that faces us all as we start journeys. And that's if we don't understand what's, what's ahead of us, we'll be woefully <laughs> in a dangerous place. And we, we want to be aware of that. But in the midst of that, God, we want to lean into the strength that you've provided. We want to have the confidence that we have in the victory of Christ. Oh, God. Thank you for, for securing for us salvation, for securing for us the armor of God, for securing us victory eternal in you that covers us like this armor, this, this belt of truth, this breast piece of righteousness, this helmet of salvation, this, this sword that we get to wield, this shield that we get to carry, these sandals that we get to wear. God, that anchor us in life on this journey as we're walking and pursuing you for a lifelong journey of leveraging our life for you. God, protect these students as they transition out of this season of life, whether it just be summer or uh, college completely. God, protect them. I pray that they would stay alert and that they would persevere. God, you call us to pray for saints. And here we are praying that you would protect our students, that you protect us, that you protect me. And God, I pray that you would protect the proclamation of the gospel, that you would give us all uh, uh, the words to speak to make it known. But God, that all of us would maintain and sustain as we see Jesus with clarity, this undying love for him. God, let us take our stand. We're not supposed to be 
cowards in the face of the battle that's in front of us. We're to take our stand in the confidence of your strength and power that was secured for us through Christ. God, we love you. Amen.